Hey there, welcome to the show. So I hope everybody has gotten through the week okay and looking forward to this week in front of us, but lots to talk about in the real estate world. And by the way, you know what? Being the beginning of a month, that means it's time for the Real Estate Talk Triangle. And I've got a new panelist joining us. I do want to thank Greg Benell from PNN Bloomberg. Been a huge, huge contributor to us over the years. Uh, and so he's moved on, but we do have Dave Butler from BM Select. He's going to hop on board the panel as well. I've got returning panelist Tim Serianos, and Tim is the owner of Remax Ultimate. So great plan for this uh, this week's show, and they're going to be joining me in a little while. So you don't want to miss out on that. We've got a lot to talk about. You know, interest rates, of course, big, big thing in the news. You know, where are they going to go and what happened? You know, we thought the Bank of Canada was going to pull a trigger. In fact, you know what? If we pulled most of the economists uh, last month, they all said they thought January was going to be our first rate increase. But now, you know what? It seems like they just kind of did a little bit of a step back and they are going to hold off potentially until March. So what's going to happen in March? Well, guess what? We'll ask the experts, see what they think. You know what I think, you know, mostly I think that they should be starting off with a quarter point, nothing more aggressive. You know what, they're going to have to get people adjusted, used to this, you know, change. You know, we've had the bottom feeder interest rates for quite a while now, and quite frankly, we've got to see where it's going to go. So, you know what, little bit by little bit, let people get used to it. I think we'll be able to get through this, but... Uh, lots to talk about uh, as well. As I mentioned, you know, a lot of you who've tuned in the show, you know, I get on a little bit of a real estate rant. I'll get there in a minute. I just want to make sure everybody knows about our new release in London. You can get a one bedroom unit, only 269000 positive cash flow, no tenant interaction. Every single month, you're going to get your rent and you don't have to worry about repairs. We take care of it all. And so really exciting release. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com. And you can also follow me on Instagram, the Simple Investor One. You know, I'm going to try to keep everybody up to date as things unfold. Uh, I do want to keep talking about things that are threatening in the news. They keep talking about the potential of a capital gains tax on your primary residence. And, you know, um, I, I am a, you know, completely dead set against this. I think that that is going to be an overreach by the federal government if they even consider introducing this to to people now i do want to dispel some of the you know some of the issues that people have so you know one of the comments and i've been on jerry agar's show you know kind of on a weekly basis we talk about this all the time and people get jumping up and down and they keep saying you know the greedy homeowner and normally that's coming from somebody that is not in the marketplace yet there's never been I believe a homeowner that said, shucks, I made X on my property that I live in, paid for, paid down my mortgage. So where does where does the negativity come from? You know, is it the fact that they missed the boat, didn't invest in a property, didn't buy, put, you know, put a roof over their family's head by owning it, by renting it? You know, so what is the real issue here? And I think the fact that, you know, we've watched prices go up faster than we've seen, you know, pretty much historically. And now people are sitting on a lot larger sum of equity. And this is this is the thing that, you know, we've got to be very mindful of. So, you know, depending on your age, you know, if you've got aged parents, you grew up in a house, the parents still own the house, you know, they've owned it for 25, 30 years. And now they're sitting on what we would call, call it $2 million, a million and a half, you know, 3 million, whatever that magic number is. There's so many people that turn around and, 
the first word out of their mouth is, oh, I can't believe how much their house is worth. And then on top of that, you know, they almost begrudge the fact that somebody has been able to make money on it. Now, this is the thing. People don't technically make money on their primary residence. If it goes up in value, great. But we've got to look at the longevity, the time that you've lived there, the cost of owning. You're making interest payments. Remember, your mortgage payment is, is, is made up of two parts. You're paying down the mortgage, but you're also paying the interest on the mortgage. On top of that, utilities, repairs, everything that encompasses ownership of real estate is for that person to bear. And ultimately, in the end, why should they not come out ahead? Should it be like a car where you make a lease payment for the next four years or you, you, you finance it, you make the payments, and at the end, you're left with nothing? So this is not the ideal scenario. And I know that a lot of buyers out there are very frustrated at pricing. And you know what? You have every right to be frustrated at pricing, but you shouldn't be frustrated with the seller because this is what people are willing to pay. So you could be frustrated at other buyers, you know, if you could all turn around and maybe get in an exchange and say, okay, uh, you know, now serving number one, you have four houses to pick, nobody else can go after it, you make the price and you could do that. But this is not how real estate functions. This is not how we negotiate. This is basically, you know, people call it the wild west, but the reality is this is somebody's asset. They own it. They can sell it for whatever they wish. Now, back to my comment about the government getting their nose in people's business. This is wrong, okay? It just is simply wrong. If you think that you can turn around and step in and say, okay, we're going to charge you X. Now, I know that they're going after more of the short-term ownership, and they, they've even indicated some of this, that this could be in the works. That, you know, if you own for a year, you get taxed at this. Even if it's your primary residence, they're going to throw in the capital gains tax. Now, what if you own for three years, you're a move-up buyer, you decide to start a family, you need that equity to get into that small detached house. Is it fair to that home seller that lived there for three years, meaning that they got their feet wet, figured it out, life happened, life changed, they want to go to the next level, which by the way, means that they're going to be able to sell their property to the next first time home buyer or somebody that's coming into the marketplace. And now they, should they not be allowed to take that equity and move up to the next step, which allows somebody else either to move out or for that matter, they're buying brand new from a builder. So why is this so confusing to many? You know, I struggle with this all the time because I, I get all sorts of emails, you know, we get texts, we every, everybody's saying market's out of control. It's out of control because of real estate investors. It's out of control because of the greed of, of realtors. It's out of control because of the greed of sellers. But the one question I always like to ask is this, to the first time home buyer, what is your motivation to own? Most people say because home ownership, they want to be able to pay down something over the future. Got it. You understand that it, real estate goes up. So I'm pretty sure that you're not going to buy something today. And let's hypothetically go to our $700,000 average price condo, by the way, in, in the GTA right now. So let's buy the $700,000 condo. Let's say you own it for 10 years. Are you okay selling it 10 years from now for 700000 See, this is the problem. Everybody does want to benefit on the sale. But the problem is, is when a buyer is looking at a purchaser who, sorry, looking at a seller who's trying to do it, it upsets them. So in other words, if a seller can sell it for a certain price, why should they not? Because you as a seller are going to want the same thing.
and I think this is where the disconnect has happened. And it's becoming even more apparent because of the uproar of people saying the real estate market's out of control. And then they throw it on the investor aspect of things. Now, just so you know, when you own an investment property, if you sell it, you are, you know, uh, you are having to pay capital gains tax on it because it's a secondary property. You can't turn around and say, well, I don't pay capital gains. So people are saying, yeah, but you, you bought it so you can flip it. Okay. But here's the thing. If they bought it, they might've had to wait for five years, leave their deposits in place. And if they've closed on it, that means they had to put in financing, do the closing costs, everything else. So if they've done it and they're using it to rent out, is there something wrong with a real estate investor making money on investment real estate? You know, one of the numbers that we need to always focus on is that 65% of Canadians own real estate period. 35% do not. And out of that 35%, there's a big percentage that they just don't want to have ownership. It's not that they can't afford it. It's not that they can't find it. It's they don't want to own it. You know, there's a lot of people right now that are hopping into the crypto markets and, you know, they're very heavily weighted into the stock markets. And some of them don't, have done exceptionally well. And I talk to investors all the time and they tell me, hey, Todd, you know what? Um, I'm not going to buy any investment real estate right now because I'm heavily invested in the stock market. And then they'll say, you know, we rent a really nice place. We don't have to worry about the maintenance. Don't have to worry about a mortgage. Don't care if the interest rates go up. We've locked in our rental rate and here's where we live. Love it. Perfect for us. And I'm taking my money. I'm investing it somewhere else. So why is it that if somebody invests in investment real estate that they're they're the bad person even though they're providing extra roofs over people's head you know there's a company out of the u.s called blackrock and a lot of people are concerned because these big corporations can come in and they've got buying power and they can buy up small towns and they're turning them into real estate investment you know for those of you that invest in things such as reits or pension funds okay you, do you know most people's pension funds are invested in, in rental real estate this is one of the areas that people get their money. So when you turn around and people say, yeah, my investment's giving me a 9% return. Yeah, but a good part of that could potentially be from investment real estate. So does that make you a bad guy? If you invest in a REIT, does that make you part of the problem? Because that's really what it comes down to. What is the problem? And you know, my solution and answer has been the same basically from day one, we've got an inventory problem. And I know everybody knew that that was coming. If you've been listening to me for a while, we do have an inventory problem. You know, we've got a municipal issue. We've got a provincial issue. We've got a federal issue. You know, nobody's addressing this. And yeah, we've got, you know, a new interim conservative party leader. We've got a, you know, prime minister who's a little bit vacant. We've got different, you know, provinces looking at different methods, but nobody is coming up with a solution. But I can tell you, the industry experts are all saying, we need more in inventory. You know, I bring a lot of people on, and one of the biggest things is that if we could get through the red tape, we now have the next problem. We need people to build it. And so this problem cascades over multiple areas, and we need to create, you know, a cohesive, you know, solution. Can I do it? Oh, I'd love to take a crack at it. I'd love to make things better. I'd like to make things more affordable and I'd love to see more inventory. I think that would balance out our market. And I think if we could do that, then I think everybody will have their needs met. But you know what? That's kind of wishful thinking. But I will tell you that coming up after the break, I've got a great segment coming up. It is our real estate talk triangle. And we've got a new panelist, Dave Butler from BM Select. 
Tim Sirianos joining us. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, that's right. It's that time of month. It is the Real Estate Talk Triangle. And uh, you know what? We're switching it up. We've got a new panelist joining us, but he's no stranger to the show. That's right. I've got Dave Butler from BM Select joining me as one of my panelists and again returning, you know, for well, hopefully another several years, Tim Sirianos. And he is the former president of the Toronto Real Estate Board. He is also a director at the Canadian Real Estate Association. Just as a little disclosure, Tim's opinions are not reflective of the Canadian Real Estate Association. And on top of that, he is also the broker owner of Remax Ultimate. Dave, welcome to the show. Tim, welcome back. Awesome, Great to thanks. be here. So guys, lots to unfold today. I got to tell you, um, it's been a real active week. You know, we can talk about interest rates. We can talk about the Bank of Canada. We can talk about, you know, uh, some future numbers. You know, Tim and I, Tim, you and I always, you know, get it kicked off with some uh, some great debates. So why don't we uh, why don't we start off first with you? We'll talk about, you know, what they are anticipating for this year in 2022. Well, it's quite interesting how the year started, and I'm and actually, actually I'm anticipating some some nice media headlines talking about how the market has, you know, a twenty percent drop in sales or a thirty percent drop in sales, and then not really, you know, providing the true perspective of why the sales may be off. You know, for one, you know, when you're looking at a January of twenty, you know, twenty one as a start, um, you know, there were about seven thousand uh, transactions that were done. Um, every other year before that, the past four or five years, there were no more than about 38 to 4,000 transactions. So we had a record-breaking January of 2021. Now we're in 2022. Um, we had the Omicron virus spread through a lot of the offices and workplaces, causing, causing staff shortages. We had two snowstorms in Toronto, <laughs> you know, that caused people to stay indoors um, while they were trying to get a shoveled out. And the supply is just the half the supply of real estate than we had a year ago. So we're going to you know, see a little bit of a slow start. Um, the temperature out there is as hot as the Caribbean beach when it comes to um, people wanting to buy, but there's just nothing for sale to buy right now. Yeah. So Dave, you know, as the broker owner of BM Select, you know, you are front and center when, you know, Tim's clients, they go out and buy, and then all of a sudden you back them up with mortgages. The one question I have for you, you know, January, Tim just mentioned, you know, low inventory, you know, all sorts of issues. Did you see the same thing on mortgages or are we also getting a little bit of heat in the mortgage market for people doing some refis, you know, looking at credit lines, things like that? Well, you're exactly right. And, and Tim touched upon actually a really good point there is that, yes, certainly, you know, when you look at, <clears throat> excuse me, 2021 and transactions, especially January, and, you know, then you look at 2022 and what's to come down the pipe. Um, it's pretty easy to me that you're going to have the media pick up on these negative headlines saying that we're down, you know, month over month. Uh, but the reality is, is 2021 was the most ridiculous market we've seen in real estate to date since uh, and, and it beat and crushed 2017. So, um, you know, we're, we're seeing the same stuff, but it's funny when you talk about January and you talk about the numbers. Yeah, we noticed the purchase numbers, the purchase units we're down slightly, but our units in January, we actually were par for par compared to 2022 to 2021. And where that was made up, uh, Tim and Todd, was obviously in refinances. We are definitely seeing people getting the message. They're hearing that rates 
are likely going to go up in 2022. And they're now contacting us and looking at maybe locking in rates, looking at what their future may entail. But I've also noticed a really big difference maker. Um, and that is a lot of people have a lot of equity. Uh, we're finding a lot of people that are coming to us. It's not just about rate. They're actually wanting to get access to equity. They're looking at maybe paying down some of the debts that they've accumulated with this new equity, newfound equity that they've got. So it's been interesting, but par for par, we, we are, for January, we stayed on for units. Good point, Dave. And, and I do want to bring up, of course, the Bank of Canada announcement. January, they gave us a pass. You know, they're saying when they meet in March that potentially we're looking at that quarter point. Is this something that we should just start factoring in now? You know, you did mention some rate increases. We know the writing's on the wall. What should people be doing at this time? Yeah, I think I think it's really important that everyone should be pricing in rate hikes. I mean, it's in Canada, for sure, it's happening. I mean, we just saw this week the Bank of England again raised uh, another quarter percent. Now, it actually... In December, they raised from 0.1, which is basically on the floor, and they raised it to a quarter. So it was actually only a 0.15 increase in Jan in December. Sorry, they did a full quarter point this week. So that is interesting to note. Um, and I think that as Canadians, we should understand that the rates were put in to the spot they were, so that we could stimulate the economy during this pandemic. Um, obviously it provided a whack load of stimulation, uh, probably more than they thought. And there's just no question that they need to raise. The real question will be how much will they raise and when I think March is almost a guarantee. I think you'll see a lot of prognosticators out there start calling for a possible 0.5% increase. I don't think that's a smart move, but you'll just see people calling for it because everyone likes to think that they get to call these and, and make these, uh, make these predictions but certainly i think we got a quarter percent coming i think if you're if you're if you're wanting to be conservative as a canadian i think we should assume that we are going to get at least three quarter percent hikes so we're looking at at least a 0.75 percent increase throughout the year depending on how the pandemic goes if we are nearing the end of it then yes, that, that is very likely. So Tim, you and I always love to play with predictions. You know, I think, uh, I'm not sure who's who's on the winning winning side yet. You know, we, we talk about number of units, we talk about prices. Dave's prediction there, Dave, I'm gonna hold you to it. So just so you know, you didn't know coming into this panel that we do this, but you know, what we do is we have Ian, you know, make sure that he notes some of this stuff. So if we have to go back next year, we can come back and say, well, Dave said it was gonna be three quarters. Was he right or wrong? Tim, minimum, do you think, minimum three quarters. <laughs> yeah, there you go, minimum. So, Tim, do you think with the red hot real estate market, do you think this might tone it down a little? I'm actually surprised that rates did not increase when you know when they had the opportunity to increase them. Um, you know, I've always said that you know we need to raise rates. You know, this is coming from a, a lifelong realtor, 33 years in the business. We need to raise rates. I believe that you know, as Dave said, that the Stimulus was, you know, over the top, too much, created a lot of um, uh, of interest in the real estate market. Now, obviously, it's not just because of low interest rates. It's also because people's lifestyle changed, changed a lot. Um, you know, I'm not against rates increasing. I'm um, against rates increasing quickly and by big jumps. Those are the things that cause um, uh, uncertainty. Uh, in the marketplace and people, you know, start to panic. And then you have your self-professed prophecy of having a down market. So uh, I've lived through 1989 to 1994. I remember those times very well when rates were, you know, people don't know this, but they were 14 and a half percent. And for those that are listening 
who've been in real estate in here a lot longer in the 80s, they're as high as 18 to 21%. So I'm, we're not going to see those rates. Um, but as I said before, my first interest rate on my first home in 1999 was 6.4 and it was a steal, right? So right now with the OSPI rules, people are being qualified uh, with a stress test at over 5%. I believe that um, Canadian households are very healthy and, and, and very strong. And just, I see rates increasing slowly, hopefully, and not quickly. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised we see four though, uh, four increases. Um, that's that's my, my my guesstimate. So, Dave, you just had Tim dust off the history books. Um, you know, a lot earlier than when you were a broker, you probably had to, to look at the history books for mortgage brokers when you when he quoted the '80s. But um, <laughs> how do you feel about uh, you know four increases? Is it going to be too much? I think the minimum of three is a good expectation. I think four is actually super healthy as well. I mean, I think you know, I think the three of us would agree that you know, our market was still relatively healthy coming off of the really big 2016, 2017 boom. Going into 2018, we really did kind of level off, if you would say, in the stock market, they would call it a bull flag. Um, and the reality was, is we were in a healthy market and we had five-year fixed rates sitting in the high threes. I remember selling 3.89, 3.99 in 2018, and the market, again, was healthy. So I completely agree with Tim. And more importantly, the part I agree with Tim even the most is you need to be very, very smart on how quickly you raise them. The timing of the raises is going to be key. Going and knocking in some 0.5s just to do it, to try to catch up to other countries, I think is a mistake because I don't think other countries have had the same type of housing market that we've had. So I think you really got to take it step by step, really look at it, really smart. And uh, I really do think that gradual increases is what we need to do. Big increases, as Tim said, will really be something that could, could really, you know, put a big damper on the fire. And I think the damper on the fire is about Canadians and their affordability. I really don't want to see Canadians get into a bad spot. All right. So I'm going to have you hold it there. We I'm going to talk about affordability, folks. When we come back, I've got more with my panelists, Dave Butler and Tim Seriano. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just joining me, we've got our section called the Real Estate Talk Triangle. We do this every single month. Uh, I've got a new panelist on board, but no stranger to the show, Dave Butler from BM Select and Tim Serianos. Yeah, he is the veteran here and he is the broker owner of Remax Ultimate. Um, gentlemen, just before the break, we were talking about interest rates um, and you know affordability. Tim, you wanted to chime in on one last thing. I did. I, I just wanted to share with everybody, as, I, as I've shared before, and I'm not sure if people have heard it, a 1% increase, the effect it has on the overall transactions um, that happen uh, in history has only been about 7,000 sales. And as a matter of fact, initially when rates do increase, um, there's been an 11% drop in sales, but within 24 months, there's been a 14% increase. So it, it's always a short-term um, impact that rates do have. Obviously, you don't want them to go too high but and, and too fast, as we said before, but I just want to provide some perspective there. No, and you know what, Tim, you make a good point because in, in a lot of scenarios, you know, people have to look objectively on what, you know, A, we have to do in the marketplace, how we achieve things. But I do want to make a point, and, you know, we've got a lot of new first-time home buyers in the marketplace and Dave, Tim, you both know that some of these people have been sitting on the fence, mainly because inventory can't buy something. 
Here's our issue, though, and what I, you know, I do want to talk about, you know, before we get off the interest rate topic is the fact that there is now a mindset. You know what? You know how you get spoiled? You know, um, you know, if you if you buy a bucket of Neapolitan ice cream and chocolate is your favorite and strawberries the next and then the vanilla at the end, you know, after you've eaten the two, you've got the vanilla left. Well, we're kind of in that scenario. We've had the chocolate right now in the interest rate market we're going to go probably to the strawberry and eventually it's going to be vanilla and people are going to be disappointed with the taste well i think that's going to happen even if interest rates go up you know by one point dave i don't know if you agree but i think the mindset unfortunately it's kind of fooled a lot of people the last two years oh gosh i mean i i you know it's funny i have a very different uh mindset of investors that i work with and i'm sure you do too and i'm sure tim when he's working with real estate investors does as well there's the kind of i would say older generation which is maybe you're 35 and up and then you've got your younger generation and i definitely think you know the the younger generation has this idea in you know their minds that this is how rates are this is how the housing market works um because you got to remember they've been exposed to it remember 2017 was still a big run-up you know and now you've got this 2020, 2021 run up. So, you know, in their eyes, you know, and understand as well, it's not just the housing market. They've also been exposed to now the stock market running like a wild animal. They've got now crypto and NFTs. And I think there's really this crazy false sense of security in some of these investments, um, you know, and just in their overall mindset of how real estate and cycles work. So um, I can all, I can only agree with you on that part because I feel like we see it every day. You know, and Tim, I would imagine, you know, that's going to become an obstacle, especially, and, and again, this is not a diss to the first time homebuyers. They don't know any better if they're just coming into a market. And, you know, obviously, you know, they can have somebody talking to them saying, look at these interest rates aren't going to stay this low forever. But, you know, we did see this. I mean, you know, back even in, you know, 2014, as we had some run-ups, you know, we had low interest rates sitting there as well. And then as soon as we saw that upward pressure sitting right around that 2017, 18 mark, we, when we started seeing them go up and as David referenced, you know, some people were getting, you know, 3.8 when I, I remember when people, when people were saying, oh, I get 3.8%, you know, oh, I wish I was getting 2.5, you know, it was affordable then now it's not, you know, are, are you going to find the same issue when you're, when your your staff are taking people out? I believe our agents are always, you know, they always have the graphs of where rates, you know, were, where they are and, and I guess where they're projected to go in most cases. I think the biggest concern is towards, you know, as we said before, the first time buyer who's never been in the marketplace. Um, it could be people who've been renting and watching these rates or the stock market and other things and the investments of how they've been working. Um, second time buyers or move up buyers, they're not, you know, they're very aware of, you know, how these rates are at record level lows, um, like record lows <laughs> never seen before. So it's more the first time buyer that they need to take the time to educate as much as possible um, to make sure they, that they understand that this is this is not something that's normal. It was something that was provided because of the pandemic. So here's here's uh, some facts. So we're going to move on. You know, we're, we're, we're past interest rate. We're going to get over it. But here's one thing I, I need to talk to you about. Tim, I'll let you weigh in first. Um, Toronto condo sales rose 69% in 2021 over 2020. You know, we do understand that, you know, a lot of people were a little concerned about the downtown core you know, going through the first part of the pandemic and all of a sudden they realized, hey, you know what, it probably, you know, not not so concerning. But the big, you know, one of the big numbers that I think that we need to talk about, actually two of them, one is the average condo price in the greater Toronto area soars to 700000 but on top of that, average new condo now selling for almost 1500 
per square foot. Um, Tim, it just seems like, you know, how much gas can be left in the Toronto condo market? So, we, I mean, when supply has been kind of so tight for so many years, uh, we have to go back and, and, and look at where we were again before. I mean, we had a pullback on new construction uh, for at least a year and a half. Uh, 2021 experience, I, I believe, if, if I'm not mistaken, around 31,000 sales um, were in the new construction market. Um, there were over 92 projects that were launched uh, in 2021 compared to... Uh, you know, almost, you know, a, almost half of that the year before. So there is a, a pent up demand uh, and, and, a, and a challenge on supply in the new construction there. Um, but again, it just demonstrates that people are coming back into the downtown core. They're not all investors. I know there's a lot of conversation in the media that these are a lot of uh, primarily investors. There are a lot of people who want to live. They're seeing that uh, is an opportunity for them to move back down to the city. And that is an average. Um, now we're looking at 1500, I've seen $1,500 per square foot. Those are in the, in the prime of prime areas. Um, but generally speaking, they're not, they're not all $1,500 per square foot. No, I agreed. But you know, when we take a look at, we can go backwards and say, okay, fine. The average condo price though, in, in a resale perspective is 700,000. So, you know, we are seeing these incremental jumps in a marketplace where, you know, if you remember, and Tim, you were you were front and center to it, obviously, in yes. you know, the spring and summer of 2020, you know, our conversation had drastically changed. Oh, 100%. Well, look, the average cost um, per square foot on a condo right now is actually $1,300 per square foot. Now, are the new builds, the new launches asking for $1,500? Absolutely. Um, but the average price is $1,300. So Dave, you know, and, 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 you know, they're moving the needle a lot in the price. And I would imagine, you know, being, being a mortgage broker, like you are, you know, the, the risk departments, these mortgage companies, are they going to hit a threshold eventually where they turn around and say, look, you're just going to have to put more money down because the price escalation just seems to be, you know, going out of control. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I think the banks, eh, this will sound crazy, but I think the banks are actually quite happy with it. I think where really uh, we have to look is Bank of Canada. You want to look at Offsea. Um, you want to look at, you know, the pressure that they get, you know, that when they start, you know, there, there are certainly people, uh, of their contingent on social media, seeing what's out there, seeing what's talked about. Um, and obviously then there's a fear that uh, you could get some change of policies based on some hype, you know, of someone, you know, a bunch of people that have gravitated to an idea. Um, I personally think, and, I, and I, I'm sure Tim would agree, and I'm sure yourself would agree that, you know, before we start changing products and changing all these different uh, ways in respect to get mortgages, I think we need to work on the first thing, which is let's get rates to a level that they need to get to, um, a fair level, a level that will allow the market to get back to a, a, some type of balance. Um, and then from there, if we want to start looking at cutting back, increasing down payment, whatnot, you know, because to me, price is always a function of supply and demand. Um, and certainly I think, you know, when you look at the Toronto market, I think it's funny that, especially the downtown market, I think Ian, the producer, could probably pull a clip of you and I talking in 2020 when we basically had predicted that 
there will be an exodus from Toronto, um, which means that once things get back to normal, Toronto will then be a laggard play. Um, and that's what we're seeing right now. When we're seeing all these talk about Toronto condos up in values, that's because Toronto was a laggard play. As Tim mentioned, you have people coming back to the city. Um, you also now have the end of a pandemic. You have workplaces wanting their people to come back to work. Um, this is always and was always going to lead to Toronto and the downtown core being a laggard play with regards to price. Guys, we're going to go to a quick break, folks. Just so you know, this section of the show is called the Real Estate Talk Triangle. My panelist, Dave Butler and Tim Serianos, will be right back after this. And welcome back. So this is the final section of the Real Estate Talk Triangle with our new panelist, Dave Butler from BM Select, and my veteran joining me as usual, Tim Sirianos. He is the broker owner of Remax Ultimate. Gentlemen, just before the break, uh, Dave, you were just finishing off. You know, we, you and I did. In fact, I can guarantee it. Ian would have found that clip that said we thought it was going to exit, but we knew that we were going to have it bounce back. I mean, look, you know, major cities, of course, in real estate, when if they have a dip, they definitely bounce back. People want to be in the hub. People get conditioned and, you know, everybody wants to be in some of these areas. There is one thing, though, that uh, apparently and, and it's. So it's really a headline that, you know, Dave, I'll have you jump on it first, and then Tim, I'll have you come on it. But Canada has seen over one in five mortgages going to investors. This is the Bank of Canada announcing this. And where I struggle with this is so many people have put so much weight on saying that it's the real estate investor that is driving up the prices. And, you know, as a real estate investor, I am offended by this. And I'll tell you why is that not everybody can afford a property and you can sit there and say, well, that's because the real estate investor. No, not everybody's going to buy because not everybody wants to buy, but we need definitely need rental stock. And if it's, if you don't have a real estate investor, especially the individual, the mom and pops, you know, <clears throat> there was an article about BlackRock and people are getting offended that these massive corporations are buying up everything. You know what? I think the solution is, is let as many individuals, small investors be able to own. And I think that that will keep some of the big corporations at bay. So Dave, I want you to weigh in on this. Well, I, this, this was really interesting to me. This whole one in five uh, talk um, has really got blown out of proportion. And I think the reason why is quite simple. If you look back at the statistics previously to 2021 and just look at the average amount of investors buying homes from 2014 to 2020, it's actually 19%. So when you talk about one in five, it's a 20% number and everyone's going crazy over this saying, oh, it's real estate investors, real estate investors, gang, from 2014 to 2020, it was 19%. That's still one in five. It's just a hair under. So the idea that, you know, and everyone's jumped on this, I see on Twitter, the, uh, the so-called experts, um, you know, saying that it's real estate investors that are causing this problem. I completely disagree. I think the numbers back exactly what I'm saying. And I think anyone just needs to go and look at the numbers. Um, real estate investors have been a big part of uh, the economy and uh, of the Toronto and the, the Canadian real estate uh, sector. Um, and I think that that shouldn't change. And to your point, I 100% agree that the only way to stop big, big corporations from coming in and buying is to certainly make sure that Canadians can also buy. I think when you put restrictions on Canadians buying the rental properties and allow big corporations to do so who have more capital, that's when you're going to cause a big problem. Yeah. And you know, one comment, Dave, is the fact that when you think about it, approximately 35% of all Canadians will not own a home. And a lot of that is by choice, just not affordability. 
And so when you when you consider that and the growth of the population, we're going to need millions of rental properties to come into the market. So Tim, I don't know if you see it the same way. I mean, when we take a look at it and, and you know, I, I'm not gonna say that Dave and I are just biased on this, but to a certain extent, we have to accept the fact that we need to have real estate investors, you know, buying these condominiums up is not a bad thing because you have tenants you're going to have 30 percent of the population in the gta that need to rent if not more we've talked about affordability so many times in the past and how the the word affordable um does not really define you know what people are after when it comes to real estate right and it's no different when you use the word investor um, right away, you're, you're, people's thoughts go to speculator, flippers, people who are just kind of abusing the real estate market and, and, and just trying to you know, profit from it at the expense of, the, of, of all Canadians, right? And that's, and that's the biggest problem here is you know, nobody's really defining um, the purpose of these people. Being, being a landlord or being an investor um, in real estate um, is very difficult. It's very difficult um, to be in that space. As a matter of fact, you know, there's there's some studies that I, that I read recently where, you know, 20, 28% of all people who owned a secondary property were thinking about selling it and something around, you know, 38 or 40% um, are somewhat likely. And the reason why is because it is so difficult to look at what you have to do to maintain the time that's invested to be there. Um, the government regulations that are being, you know, compounded. So, you know, we got to really define, you know, the difference here and, and not have a negative connotation on the, on the person who's providing secondary unit. Uh, I was on an earlier show with you, Todd, where we talked about, you know, adding more real estate stock, whether it's laneway housing. And one of the past presidents of TREB talked about how, um, you know, it's time to add a secondary unit in people's basements, right? So they can actually add to the rental stock that would, you know, bring it above the 1% that we're at right now that's making it so difficult to even find a place to rent. So, you know, not everybody who's buying is is a bad person trying to suck out, you know, the real estate from the overall um, market. Yeah. And Tim, you know, one of the things we, you and I have talked about this, we talked about flippers and, you know, this was the people that held a property for less than a year. And, you know, we did, you and I did some dive. I do the dives on the numbers all the time. And it's a very, very small number. When you turn around, you look at, at the actual registration of a property and find out that, you know, people have flipped it within one year. Going through, going through 2020, this number came up. There was a big report, people saying, look at all the flippers in this marketplace. But truth be told, people had lost their jobs in 2020. You know, they got cut back. They weren't able to, you know, sustain it. They had relationship issues. And yet when they did the actual dive, 2.8% of the actual transactions people had owned for less than a year. That does not define a marketplace. That does not say it's a flip market because 2.8% really doesn't move the needle, in my opinion, forcing the prices up. Well, again, when, uh, as you said earlier, 20% is a number that's not really being broken down to what you just said right now. Out of the 20%, 3% actually sold it in the same year. And out of those 3%, who were they? Were they infill builders? Were they contractors who are actually uh, have this as a business for the last 20, 30 years of their career, who actually buy property, bring them up to standard current zoning codes, and then put them back in the marketplace as a more efficient, um, you know, greener property? I mean, there's so many more numbers within those numbers that people have to look at and dive into. You can't just look at one in five. I mean, it, it, it's even with the foreign investors. I mean, we talked about this in 2016 and 17, the reports that came out. 
it was under 5% back then. And you're looking at investors today in the foreign, you know, the foreign tax and everything that's going on, 80% of foreign investors are actually moving into it very quickly after purchasing or having a family member moving in. You know, my daughter goes to the University of Toronto. Um, you know, a lot of people are buying places and there's children are living in it. Does that define them as a foreign investor or is it define them as somebody who, who is going to end up staying in Canada for the rest of their life because they love our country? Yeah, that's a that's a great point. So, you know, just for a little levity here, you know, I thought, uh, you know, Ian provides me a lot with some really cool things. You know, you know, we're seeing prices soar, obviously, detached markets and and. You know, uh, Dave, you and I are more in the West End, but big thing, you know, I, I think I found, you know, one of you guys, a new home, uh, really affordable. It's located out in Flamborough, you know, 350000 really nice detached house, uh, you know, but it's got a niche lifestyle. Not sure if you all heard about this, but, you know, home in Ponderosa Nudist Resort can be bought for 350000 I'm just wondering which one of you want to take that, uh, take that risk. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck on the financing. It's so funny. Ponderosa has been around for a while. I remember back in the day, I used to get the odd call probably once every five years about uh, one of my clients uh, looking to, to take advantage of this great price out there. But uh, yeah, it's been funny. Ponderosa, I, 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 you know, I'm sure those that uh, frequent it, love it. Um, obviously, the, one of the bigger challenges that we have in the mortgage world is, is financing on resort style uh, units. So luckily for me, uh, we've been able to uh, stay likely away from Ponderosa. <laughs> so Dave, uh, quick question, then I'll follow up. Is it because they don't have pockets or, you know, being at the news <laughs> resort or is it just, oh, that's it, good. <laughs> you just don't like the resort part? Well, gentlemen, listen, it's been such a pleasure having the two of you on Dave, welcome aboard to, uh, to the panel and Tim, Thank as you. usual, thanks for your contributions this week. Always a pleasure having you. And I look forward to having you on uh, next month. Yeah, I really enjoyed our time together. And um, you're looking forward to next month as well. Thanks very Thanks. much, Todd. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. So that was great having uh, Dave Butler from BM Select join Tim Serianos from Remax Ultimate for our Real Estate Talk Triangle. And just so you know, uh, I do have this every single month, uh, having an uh, you know expert group of panelists. And... Um, that's it for this week. You know, again, flies by as it usually does. And don't forget, if you want to follow me on Instagram, the Simple Investor One, I am excited to tell you about our new release, one bedroom units, only 269,000. You get your rent every single month, positive cash flow, no cost for repairs, and no tenant interaction. You don't want to miss out on it. So go to the simpleinvestor.com and, and take a look. And I do want to thank Ian. He keeps it simple for me every single week. I want to thank you for tuning in, making us the number one real estate talk show. But of course, I will be back next Sunday at noon. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.